Mindfulness Mode 379. I just put a sign up and said, hey, do you feel not part of the in crowd? Come to room 101. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness right here on today's Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Thanks, Mindful Tribe, for all you do to support the show. And thanks for telling your friends and sharing that we're on apps like Spotify, Spreaker, so many more, including Apple Podcasts. Well, I have a question for you. I've asked this before. Do you ever have trouble falling asleep? Do you wish you could sleep more soundly? I have a sleep meditation I've recorded just for you. I've received great positive feedback about how it's made a big difference in a lot of people's lives. And you can uh, download this free recording. You definitely deserve to be able to sleep naturally and easily and deeply. And like I say, you can download this for your own use for free. And you can do that at mindfulnessmode.com slash sleep. Today, Mindful Tribe, I'm talking with a consultant who has years of experience helping thought leaders improve the quality of their conversations. She's worked with the United Nations and so many other organizations. I loved this conversation. I'm sure you will too. She's all about mindfulness. Sit back, relax, and enjoy today's talk with Anne Van Aaron. Mindful Tribe, I think you're going to enjoy today's show. I have a brilliant guest with me. I have Anne Van Aaron. She is so accomplished in what she's done, and she's written this incredible book called Oasis Conversations, and it is absolutely great and easy to read, but so many great ways to communicate that she's teaching in here. And are you in mindfulness mode today? Absolutely. Glad to be with you. Thanks. That's, that's great. I'm so glad to be with you as well. And I want to share a little bit about you, Anne, with Mindful Tribe. Anne Van Aaron, PhD, is founder of a company called Potentials. It's a global coaching and organization development consulting firm with over 30 years experience coaching leaders and working with teams and organizations all over the world and supports people in having open-minded conversations for unparalleled results using her tested Oasis Moves process, which is outlined in the book. She creates team and organization environments of respect and dialogue that facilitate achieving goals. Clients include Fortune 100 companies, government and non-governmental organizations, and privately held organizations. She's worked with the UN, the World Bank, Ford Motor Company, New York Presbyterian Hospital, and so many more. So Anne, tell us about mindfulness in your life. What does the word mean to you? Thank you, uh, Bruce. You know, I've been reflecting, uh, mindfulness is really essential and a part of my whole life. It's basically, how do we be open-minded? I've been using that word essentially too. How do we be open to what is and to be non-judgmental, which is not easy, and to be really appreciative of what is and open to others, open to ourselves. Uh, So it's really being present and open and and appreciating what is. So it's it's a life process. 
It sure is. And I appreciate that you said being non-judgmental because sometimes that is really tricky. How do you help others to be that way? That is, that is the whole trick. I think my whole life has been about that. And how, how do we move into that space? I do think that we have a different part of the brain is accessed a different part of being when we can, and we all have had that experience. That's what we appreciate about mindfulness, being in that open, uh, available, present, uh, curious state. Uh, and then, uh, you know, we all slip into the other state, which is human nature. Uh, and so to not make ourselves wrong, but we're always, uh, you know, being self-protective uh, and trying to, you know, uh, survive. So we move into judgment. And, and the, big, the biggest thing I've had an impact for my own life, and I continually work on it, honestly, is, is learning how to notice that state of judgment and shifting quietly or easily into this other open, expansive state. Well, you tell so many stories in your book. And one of the stories was about your little six-year-old daughter and how she was under the covers and she wanted you to be a certain way. And you were just ready to tuck her into bed and hope she would fall asleep. But yet you were able to move to the place where she was. Could you tell us a little bit about that story and how it applies to the workforce? Wow, I heard that you, that's at the end of the book. I hardly remember that story. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, impressive that you read it. Um, no, but I think I have, I have, my daughter is now a teenager, so I have the opportunity regularly, even daily, to deal with this of how, and, and that's been the most important part of being a parent because, you know, we all think, oh, this is what you should do. My role as a parent is to tell you what you should be doing or make sure you get your homework done or get somewhere on time. Even this morning, she forgot, couldn't find her bus pass, uh, you know, and you want to, you, you know, how do I, and I have to, many, I had the opportunity to say, okay, stop. And, you know, and I want to say, put it away in the right place. Uh, but I have to stop, step back and, you know, try to teach her, help her to remember. But to, when I'm in that state, if I'm in the state of judgment, then it doesn't, it's not going to go well. So I have to stop, step back, try to be open, curious. Do I do it every time? No. But the more I do it, then the more positive interaction I have with her. So, uh, so when she was young, too, you know, how do, a lot of it's our own anxiety as a parent. How do I you know, help her to be effective. We want them to succeed. But how do I create the best moments are when I can be in that open state, you know, loving potential, seeing the potential in people and not and managing my own judgment. Well, I love how you use the acronym OASIS to stand for these, these steps of your five-step process. And the first one is observation. And I think that's where a lot of us fail. We don't even, we're not even aware of what's going on around us. How do you teach people to be more aware? No, that is so true. Uh, the, like a simple example, uh, I've been teaching this all over the world uh, to, you know, leaders, family members, executives. And uh, th that's the beginning. Uh, and uh, what's our observation? What's happening? That's why we're doing all the mindfulness and meditating so that we can observe. But we need, Oasis is really, to me, like mindfulness 2.0. How do I be in the practice daily of noticing? So the simple thing is we're always, we're so quick. We, something happens and we immediately make a judgment. We immediately make an assumption. Uh, so what, what we, how I, how, what we have to do is, so for example, a very simple one we can just do, I have it in the book is, it's the simplest one. A person comes late to a meeting. So they're, they're, this is say it's a third time they're late. We immediately are having a story going on. Like, Hey, uh, they must not be committed to the team. They don't care about uh, me as a manager. They want me to look bad or, and so we immediately have these assumptions and what we do is act on them. So what a manager might do is say, well, this person's not committed. So they stop telling them things. 
they stop inviting me to meetings. And then this stuff goes on and on. Uh, and we never assess what really was the observation that made me make the assumption. We're always making assumptions based on our own experience and our backgrounds. So if I have a kind of a, even a history of people kind of not uh, coming to the meeting on time, then I'm drawing on my history. So what I have to do is separate what's happening and then how am I responding to it? That's really what mindfulness is supposed to be about. What's happening and how do I respond to it? So the person's coming late. I notice, oh, I feel angry, but I have to stop, step back, try to be open and say, then I would say, well, what's happening? I first check in with myself and say, okay, I'm angry. Why? Because, you know, I grew up in a family where I knew everyone, should, if I'm on time, others should be on time. I have certain rules. But then if I can stop myself and say, okay, what's going on here? The person's coming late. Uh, let me try to be curious. This is the whole key of the mind process. If I can be curious and open, uh, even though I'm not saying I'm not going to say I'm not going to accept you being late, I bet I say, okay, let me check it. Let me be open. Then I can go and say, what's I noticed that you have been 30 minutes late the last three meetings. And then I stop, pause. I can share my assumptions or not, but then, then I can see what the issue is. I've done this all over the world. Some cultures, people, it, it's not that important to come on time. So if you go to, you know, I've worked in Beirut or other parts of the world, people came later. That wasn't like urgent to be right there at the nine o'clock time. Other cult cultures, people have learned, you know, uh, you know, I was in um, Geneva. People all came 15, 20 minutes early. That's their culture. But then every one of us grew up in a different family. So we all learned different things. And your family is interesting. It seems like they were a lot like my family. When you were growing up, you felt a little bit different from everybody in your family, didn't you? Absolutely. I, Tell I, us about that. I was the oldest one. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I was always different. My parents always saw the world differently. So I had, they, they always disagreed on everything my whole life. And that became my mission, which is how I probably got into this field. Like one saw, one, you know, one parent would see it one way. And I gave them every test as I studied uh, psychology. And they would all be, each be at the other extreme on every piece. So I was the oldest of six kids. And so I basically have always been trying to figure out how to get people who have different views work together. So this has been like my whole life. Well, that's so fascinating. Uh, just because it's like like me, I, I felt like I was so different from my my six brothers and sisters, and my parents didn't seem life the way I did. I went, wanted to go to university, and nobody else did. You know, I was wow. like, wow. I just thought that was what I wanted to do, and they thought that was kind of unusual. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and the, you know, and I remember being in university a couple of years, and and um, someone in my family said, "Well, why don't you just why don't you just quit?" Like, why don't you just get a job, you know? And I'm like, really? Like, no, <laughs> this is what I want to do. So you totally understand this. I had the same thing. Now I know what story you're talking about because my parents would think, why are you going to get a doctorate? Why would you study? They never thought it had any had the value. I don't know why, but they, yeah, yeah, it's funny. But good for you that you pursued your own focus, you know? And, and that you didn't know it at the time, and maybe I didn't know it at yeah. the time, but they were kind of teaching us yeah. and preparing us for the future and what we could do to help others, right? Exactly. exactly. And, and uh, I feel really appreciative now of my experience growing up with all the, plus with all my siblings who all had different mindsets. And, and that's really what life is. We're all seeing the world differently. And I grew up in a very critical family, uh, you know, my father particularly, very critical. And so always feeling like, huh. You know, uh, how, how do I figure out what, you know, they, they felt they were right. Even something simple, like, you know, everyone knows pineapple ice cream is the best. I'm like, okay. So, uh, so again, the judgments, 
So this back to this observation piece that you started, it's such a simple, simple tool, but so valuable. I even have people, I practice myself by, even if I'm taking a walk, I notice. So this is another mindfulness meditation. And I say, oh, wow, what a beautiful flower. But then I have to stop and say, okay, I, what am I noticing? I'm noticing a flower that's got red leaves and green and, and it's, and, and, and then I'm making the assumption that it's beautiful. That's my view. So just somebody else might say, oh, my God, a flower. I'm, it, I'm allergic to the flower. It's, it's terrible, you know? So yes. everybody is having a different reaction. And, and then it becomes life is interesting. Everybody is having a different reaction, even though I think my ways, I still think my ways should be the right way, you know, especially with my daughter. I know, you, you know, you should, you should really love being outside. No, she'd rather be with her computer, you know. So how do we then know everyone's got a different view? and try to be open that and that openness is what I call oasis like I, I try to work with people my secret I think is how do we we've all accessed this open state which we would love and we want to be in this open curious state some of us it's nature I go you go outside you see beautiful and you feel especially in Canada where you are yes on nature and you connect that could be your experience of an oasis so knowing how to get there in your body I think is essential and, and for somebody else, it might be, so I've collect, what I suggest is collecting these moments where you have that openness, expansive feeling and curious, and then remember those. One of mine is in Santorini, Greece. So when I'm there, I'm like, wow, you know, I can be there right now. So it's shifting when I'm in judgment, like you should do this. I, and I'm able to catch myself and be, and shift over to this open state. Then I doesn't mean I won't say you have to do that. If I'm the manager, you have to do this or it. But I'm, oh, when I'm open, then I can create this curious state. And then we move into my that's the S of my oasis process, which is shifting, shifting from judgment to openness. I don't think we could do it intellectually because I've tried that uh, for a long time. I tried you know, meditating, trying to open, you know, and I still meditate, but I but I think learning how to feel this sensation in my body when I'm in judgment. That seems to me a, a good way to catch myself. And then everyone can learn their signal, stop, step back, and then shift into the open state. Then then we do our other pieces, which is, I can go into that if you want. Right, right. Yeah, so just to, just to reiterate, observation is the first one, yeah. and then awareness, as you said, yeah. and then shift. Yeah. And shifting, of course, is so important, because if you don't, then you're just stuck there. Exactly. And then the next one is importance. Let's talk about that. Yeah, okay. Then if you're able, this I love too, if you're able to shift into the open state, then the I is what's important. So the real simple, I try to make this so simple, what's important to me, what's important to you, and what's important to us. What's important to me, what's important to you, what's important to us. And and so then there you use the, the skills of active listening. And I have another little acronym for that, but it's really active listening, uh, giving empathy. Empathy cannot be overemphasized how important empathy is. Because uh, when we're, when the other person is kind of in, in judgment, let's say we saved our simple example. Like if I say, I noticed that you came, oh, is observation. I noticed that you came to the last meeting late, you know, at 30 minutes late the last three times. A, and then I share my assumptions. I assume maybe something else is going on or, uh, and I'm feeling disappointed because my background is when you're late, uh, you know, if I come on time, everyone should come on time. And if you're late, others are starting to come late now. And this is a problem. But then I, but I want my suspending judgment. I stop, I shift, I'm open. I say, hey, you're an important player of the team. I want this to be worked out. So I state my positive intention. And I show it through my body language because we're picking up people's emotions. 
So I'm not like this. I'm like, okay, you're not committed. I'm like, hey, I, I wonder what's going on. And then I is like, I'm checking what's important to you. So the person feels like, are you kidding? You're telling me this. I work late every night. I do uh, uh, all these extra projects for you. And you're now telling me the simple thing like a meeting. You're having a problem. So they start having a reaction. Then I have to catch myself again. And then I have to give them empathy, which is the last thing I want to do because I have a, I want to work out my them getting to the meeting on time. But they're thinking, don't you value me? All the things I do for you, you know, my commitment to the team, I, I can't imagine anyone would question it. And who cares about a meeting? Nothing happens the first few meet time, minutes anyway. See, so they have a whole different view. But if I can be empathetic, even though empathy does not mean I agree, I could just say, well, I see you're, you're, uh, you, you don't value the meeting as much or you don't, so you don't feel that things happen to, it's not that important to be there right away. I might not agree with that, but I still can say, well, let me hear your point of view. If people feel that we give them empathy and understanding, or maybe they say, well, Anne, I have been working till 11 o'clock every night and on the big project, and that's been really taking, and then I say, wow, that's really a lot. You feel really stressed. If I give them empathy, that cools a person down because a person, when they're boiling, they can't take in any other th pieces. They feel they're only thinking of their own view. But if you give empathy, people relax, their shoulders drop, and then they're more open. So giving empathy, does, people don't want to give empathy often because they think they're thinking of their own view, or they think, if I give them empathy, they'll think I agree. Right. So they'll think, they think they're giving up something if they give empathy. Exactly. Exactly. So when you give empathy, it's just the human condition. We're all, all having different experiences, and, and we're all suffering all the time some way. I mean, even people look great. Everybody's got you. Challenge. I don't know anybody that doesn't. Every everywhere I go, everybody has some different issues they're working on. They may look great, but they're dealing with something with their kid or with their friend. Or and so giving empathy and everyone's stressed these days, watching the news. You know, so giving empathy, it cools people down, and then they become more open and they say, "Well, what do you think about this meeting? What What do you need? What do you need, Anne?" And then we can get it. So, what do I need? What do you need? And what do we need? It's very simple. But the most important part is what happens is we want to run to solution. So I want this person to come to my meeting. I just don't really care that much. Maybe what's going on with them. I'm like, get to the meeting. And then what does that do? If I just do that, then they have, then they're talking, they go out and talk to everybody else and say, well, Anne's a terrible manager. She doesn't need, I'm working till 11 and she doesn't care. So it creates all this energy that we don't really dissipate. You feel it when you walk into some lot of organizations. So we want to calm down. And then it doesn't, I still might say, you know what, I need you at the meetings. What are we going to do? Okay. And then we might take away some project. We might, but now they understand how important that meeting is. So it's not like I'm giving up what I need. I'm also, because that wouldn't be good either. If I just say, oh, anything anybody wants, then I would be mad. So I, right, of course. We have to get both needs met. What do I need? What do you need? What do we need? But the important thing is separating that from solution because the last S is solution. And then that we all want to rush to, so especially in the workplace or in life, here's what we're going to do. As soon as the first idea comes up, we're like, okay, we'll do that. Uh, but what we want to do is understand. And then we say, okay, now that I understood your need, you need to, uh, you know, you need to get to another, maybe the issue is they, they had to go to a class. So you need to get to your class. That's important. I need to have your input for the, uh, you know, because when you're late, everyone's starting to come late. And we both have the need of getting our projects done. So given that, what are our options? That's the last S. What are our options? And then we explore. Well, we could change the meeting time. Maybe you don't, don't go to the last section meetings of your class. 
Uh, and then we decide, what are we going to do? And that the solution, again, goes back to what's your observation? What are we going to see? We're going to change the meeting time for the next three meetings. You're going to uh, poll people and make sure they can do it. And then I'll send out the email. Very clear what, what the action and agreements are. And I love how in your book you talk about, you know, making this into habit. So it just becomes something that you're living all the time. And you use an analogy of driving, which makes it so clear to understand habits. Let's talk about that. Okay. Uh, boy, uh, habits. Um, let's see. The driving one. You just you read the book more than I did. The driving piece. Uh, I mean, a habit. Uh, what do you think of the driving example? Uh well, the driving example was all about how when you get in your car, if, you, if you've never driven before, if you've driven very little, then you, you, know, you don't have these habits developed and you'll be kind of stressed out. You won't be a good driver, but once you develop the habits, it will yeah. just all come automatically, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. And, and okay, so the habits. The habits are everything because we all have habitual patterns. So we react you know, uh, all and some of us are just immediately get stressed. Some of us get angry. Some of us yell. So we all have habitual patterns that we're unaware of. They came from our family, our background, what we learned, and they all worked at one point. So that's the, another piece, not to be upset about this with ourselves and then with others. Because you know what? If somebody yells, I have a sister that yells. Okay, that worked at one point. That was a good strategy. That worked, and then they started adopting it. We all adapt what works, but what we need to do is I'm proposing is adopting this other plan, which is very possible to notice whenever I feel the sensation of, of judgment, then I want to stop, step back and become more curious. So I can learn that pattern. But like, as you said, the driving is what happens with habits. And that way I think about it is like you have a, a um, uh, you know, like a big field with a lot of grass. And then there's both they expected you people to walk, turn, walk down one street, turn left, walk the other. Well, what happened is people start cutting through the grass because they want to get there quickly. And pr right. pretty soon, pretty soon, a lot of other people start walking. And pretty soon that pattern becomes the, 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 the way everybody's walking along this path. And that's what happens in our brain. We have a neural pathways. And, uh, and, and whatever we do, we start one, you know, even if it happens regularly, we, that's why we do meditation. Cause we say, okay, we know that before we do our work, we sit down, we meditate before, you know, I get right up and I exercise. That's a pattern I have in my brain. I get right up in the morning, go right to the gym. So we, that's become a pattern. I don't feel right if that isn't set. So as soon as we start these patterns, our neural pathways get like big highways and they become natural and easy and smooth and so what we have to do is to really like create this oasis is we and i say you just have to remember i want to be in an oasis the more we know that feeling then we can get into that state and then it becomes more natural and say so, oh somebody says hey like you know like my daughter this morning i can't find my bus pass i have to be somewhere i want to say do it but i'm like oh stop breathe don't say anything in you know and then calm down so I can, you know, do I do that every day? No, but I'm, I'm still always working on it. It's a process. Yeah, for sure. And when did you first start realizing that what you teach is actually a form of mindfulness? You know what? It's interesting. Uh, I, 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 I didn't call it initially mindfulness, but I'd, uh, I, I have actually been studying mindfulness since I was a kid. You know, I started with TM. Uh, you know, I was like 13 or 14. I remember I got my mother to drive me and I took her to. Uh, so I've done many, many, many forms. I've done everything, uh, guided meditation. And then I, I realized, I, I, how do I bring this into my clients? 
because uh, I started quite early working with, you know, well, I was a manager early on in my life. And then I, uh, you know, started my business early. So I thought, how do I, a lot of the clients that I work with in corporations, I wasn't going to get them to sit down, you know, in these days. Now it's much more acceptable. But this is like 30 years ago. Uh, you know, people are like, what? You want me to sit down? You know, maybe they would once they knew me. But I thought, how do I bring this in and make it much more expansive? Um, but I used to teach like meditation, um, you know, when I was re really young to people. But then I thought, how do I make this practical? So it was really many years ago. Uh, so I've always had it in my mind. I didn't always say this is a form of mindfulness. Uh, I still don't always say it, but it really now now it's much more acceptable to say. Sure. Because you know what? Mindfulness, two, it's, to me, this is like mindfulness 2.0 because you get to practice all day long. Because, you you know, even when you're watching the news, you can practice. Um, he did what? He said what? Oh, stop. You know, let me let me try to be open. You know, let me try to be curious. So you get to practice all the time. And uh, so it's so it's kind of, you know, because we're, we're going to practice. We're going through life with many challenges anyway. Yeah, we sure are. I want to ask you a question about bullying. Do you have a story for us that you could share where mindfulness would have made a difference? Absolutely. Uh, I, I do think that this, that my, I, I mean, I remember bullying has been also a part of, in my life, when I was young, uh, we, you know, there used to be even at the bus stop, there would be like race riots, you know, people would, of different races would be fighting each other. And it always bothered me, even in high school, uh, I felt like, how, why do we have these such different groups and people feel outsider and, and people are mean to others. So even in high school, I started, a, a, I just put a sign up and said, hey, do you feel not part of the in crowd? Come to room 101. And I got the biggest club in the whole darn school. Wow. And then, what what city did you grow up in? I, I, I grew up in, uh, it was in uh, Bethesda, Maryland. Well, Chevy Chase, Bethesda, Maryland. But so that became, and then we started peer counseling. So he's, right away, he started teaching kids how to get the skills. I went to the college and learned the hotline skills. And then we taught people how to listen, how to give empathy. So, um, uh, so I, I, and then I've continued that on in corporations because my work has been, how do we create inclusive environments? Because the energy of people are expending too much energy when they feel they're not included for all kinds of various reasons, their culture, their nationality, their, you know, their race, their size. So I have spent many, many years trying to create cultures of organizations. Uh, what happened is I originally was doing uh, like counseling and coaching people. And I realized, why don't we go change the systems? Because so many people were having problems at work. And they were, and so I thought, why don't we just, and I'm still working on that. How do we change the cultures uh, to create in a, inclusive environments? And you know what? People love it when you do it. And what it takes is conversations. So what I do now is I bring in leadership teams and, they, and there's so much energy expended for people that are feeling like, oh, I'm not included. I'm not valued. People aren't talking to me. So we, I work with leadership teams. They don't talk to each other either, all these leadership teams. So once we get them, uh, you know, creating an environment of let's be open, let's talk to each other, let's not make each other wrong. This is how humans work. Uh, everyone's probably doing the best they can. Once you open that up and bring in what's and create that environment, they get aligned to leadership teams. And then they want to create that environment and then it extends through the system. So I've had great luck creating these open-minded environments. Well, that is awesome. That is wonderful. So with your leadership teams, does that mean you go into a company and then you form teams from people that are there or do you go with a team of your own into the company? No, no, that, no. I go and I work with leadership teams of companies. That's what I thought you meant. I don't know how people aren't doing this because I'll give you an example. I work with a leadership team recently, and it was all kinds of factors. Their market's down. 
Uh, they had grown through different acquisitions. So all these people from different acquisitions are not relating to each other. Everyone's doing their own thing. Uh, so we were able uh, to just bring, you know, I, what I do is I interview the, like the say a leadership team, maybe there's 15, 10 people, 12. I interview everybody. I find out what's on their mind. Then I try to get them to be open, come in and create an open environment and, and just bring up what's happening and have a conversation. And then we get them aligned. You know, they get aligned on, on what strategy they want to have, how they really are all in this together, as opposed to everybody doing their own thing, kind of like getting them all in the same boat, getting them aligned and they get create a vision together. They create an agreement of the kind of environment they want to create. And when they agree do this, then every manager is going out speaking in a line way and they're creating an open environment and they learn oasis of how to be open with each other and to have conversations. It just changes the whole dynamic. Uh, you know, it's hard to be in a company these days. Everyone is under stress. So it, it's, it's really a beautiful thing you know, to have people get aligned and to be open-minded with each other. I, I do think the world's better if we have conversations with each other and not make each other wrong. I mean, we see it in our culture, you know, people are on different ends of the spectrum and they are just spending their time making each other wrong as opposed to, hey, we're in this together. It's okay to have different views. We have different experiences, different backgrounds. How do we talk to each other to try to see, you know, to try to make something happen together? Because there's a lot we want that is common. You know, there's a, we all want the environment to be better. We all want people to work, you know, do we want to have a better workplace? Um, yeah. Well, you're absolutely right. And I love the subtitle of your book, Oasis Conversations. And the subtitle is Leading with an Open Mindset to Maximize Potential. Because isn't that what every company wants to do? And you can get Oasis Conversations by going to oasisconversations.com. And you can also visit potentials.com as well in order to... Uh, find out more about what Anne does. And it's just wonderful how many companies you've you've helped. Can you give us a specific story about a company where you went in and you just resulted in such a huge transition? Yeah, I mean, one I remember uh, that I really liked was uh, a healthcare system. Uh, and we created a small program called Creating an Oasis of Respect. And uh, here, you can imagine in healthcare, you have so many different uh, and, and this was uh, in New York, so they, you know, they ha and they had had two companies merge, two cult, two big healthcare systems merge with different cultures, and then they had, of course, so many different, you know, diverse, uh, you know, people from all different parts of the world, and then they had, um, you know, of course, the different functions. So you have people from, you know, the doctors, the nurses, the, you know, all the different roles and all the different kinds of doctors, and and then they all distressed on healthcare. So we created a program, you know, designed it for them. It was included Oasis and how to be open-minded and how to uh, even be open-minded with, with the, uh, uh, the, the people, that, the patients, uh, and understand cultural differences there. And then everybody got the program. You know, everybody went through uh, how to, with the intention to create a respectful environment and to have conversations with each other and to be open to the, uh, the kind of culture they want to have, being open to their um, uh, the, the patients. And they were really at a low, uh, kind of at that point, low uh, in these ratings that they give to hospitals. Uh, after this program, I mean, it was just amazing. People talked to each other. And then I trained, I developed the program. It was, Oasis was the thing, you know, main part of the program. 
and then I trained other facilitators in their pro in their court in their organization to be teaching it. So many many people got this program, and then uh, then we went in and had other opportunities where people would you know facilitate people talking to each other about the issues in their teams. It was just really beautiful to see the impact, and and they then you know the outcome was they got much better scores on their engagement, and then they got better scores from their patients. So it really was a win-win for the patients, win-win for the people in the organization, everyone. And then people gave me story after story of, of how the kind of conversations they had, which made their life quality better That's for everybody. Great. So that, and, the, and I've had that experience at many, many other places. So that- That's wonderful. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it makes life great. And uh, you know, uh, it's a very, very simple process. I've tried to make it so simple now. I teach an online course uh, it's like six sessions where I go through uh, uh, and people learn the process, as well as I go into companies and and either customize the program for their company, their culture, or I work with a leadership team and give it to them. So pretty much I've been giving this all over the world for more than 20 years. The UN has used it as part of their, I developed their one of their key leadership programs 20 years ago, and it's still part of their program. I, uh, and many, many people have been out teaching other people the process. So that's been wow, that's mission. incredible. That's my mission to really uh, help people to you know be in this open-minded state. And so your uh, your online program is that available at potentials.com? Uh, yes, or or oasisconversations.com is another. Either one. Both of those have a have a description of it, and people can contact me too. Wow, you must be so proud about what an influence you've had on the world Thank with, you so with all of this. Thank you. I mean, and I'm still would love to I'd love to get this out to more youth also. That's one of my goals now to try to make more people because a lot of people a lot of the youth are saying they don't really know how to fully have good conversations with others and I and they want to create meaning in their life. So I'm hoping that this will be a way to get this make this available. Yeah, for sure. I want to, as we move forward, and I want to ask you five quick answer questions. Sure. So just 30 second answers okay. are perfect. Who's one person who has influenced your mindfulness? You know, uh, ironically, one of mine was just, it was probably, uh, my, there are many people, but one was maybe my uncle who, who created many orphanages uh, wow. and was uh, a priest and he tried to influence many people. So that's been my life is really trying to make a difference. Uh, and this is the way I chose to do it. But that, but that, that commitment to service and making a difference came from my family, and from him. Uh, so that's probably the beginning. But there are many, many people. Too many people. You know. Sure. So, how has mindfulness affected your own emotions? You know, it, it's just been a part of my practice uh, to be, uh, you know, centered, listening. Uh, it, it's made the difference in my life. Uh, you know, from my whole life of being. Probably a wor naturally a kind of a worrier person, uh, and so it's helped me to uh, continually to grow and develop. So let's talk about breathing. How is that part of your mindfulness? Yeah, breathing. Breathing is essential, and that's part of actually Oasis. Is is uh, what, what happens is when we are in judgment, we contract, and then we're not holding. We're holding our breath. So basically, breathing and, and many many kinds of breathing, as you know. I mean, one simple type of breathing I often give people is just. You know, inhale with if, and bring the you know fill your belly with air, and then maybe hold the count, like maybe count to six as you breathe in, and then breathe out, like maybe through a straw. You know, uh, count to twelve. So that's a very simple kind of example. But there are many, many kinds of breathing. But breathing is essential because essentially, when we're in judgment, we're holding our breath, we're contracted, and breath is what we're holding. So we need to breathing is essential. 
So your book, Oasis Conversations, is a terrific book, really about mindfulness, but about how to apply it in the workforce. But are there any other books that you would recommend on this topic of mindfulness? There are so many, as you know. Um, yeah. uh, there's one that's out recently um, uh, that people might not be know, know of. It just came out very recently. It's called Aware by Dr. Dan Siegel. Uh, and and he, he he has a process. You may know him, that he combines uh, many of the different kinds of med- mindfulness, which are kind of focusing, uh, um, and then um, you know uh, emotions, checking with your emotions, and then mindfulness of being um, uh, compassionate. So he has a process uh, that recently, the com- and it, and he includes the brain research. So that would be a good book for your your people. But I mean, I love the books by Thich Nhat Hanh. I, I love the whole area of focusing. There's a lot of book, books on that, which is a really another way. Uh, John Kabat-Zinn, of course, wherever you go, there you are. I mean, Eckhart Tolle, there's so many. Yeah, yeah, there are. Well, I'll put, I'll put your suggestion in our show notes as well. Do you have an app that you recommend to help people be more mindful? You know, you know an app that, apps that I really have enjoyed are, um, uh, I use right now Procreate, um, but, there, but it's actually doing artwork on the iPad or on your phone. I find that oh. I've really, really enjoyed even, you know, just doing uh, uh, kind of back to regular artwork. I, I try to draw some cartoons now, but uh, just doing regular, you know, so I think being in art, do, using that as a medium, but there's so many free ones uh, available now uh, out there to do just simple artwork or coloring or, so I think that would be a kind of a cool thing for people to do. There's also like the Insight Timer, forgot, you know, if you want to meditate, but I, I was thinking that might be a cool thing for your people uh, to do some kind of artwork. For sure. And what does your meditation look like? Do you meditate every day, Anne? Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I really have been since I, for more than 40 plus years. Uh, so I, I actually uh, try to have mix it up. Uh, it seems like I go through different processes. I've tried many, but I, I always would, I usually like exercise in the morning and then I you know, do a few clean the house chores or whatever. But then I, I always would sit and meditate before I do my work. Uh, so I do at least, you know, like 30 minutes and then I do some journaling, but I do, um, uh, I, I do all different kinds. I do, I've done guided meditation. I do uh, just silence, I do breathing, I do mantra, you know, I, I, I kind of mix it up. I've done uh, uh, Cretan uh, Curie recently, which is a Sata Nama kind of meditation. So I, I pretty much, I've tried, you know, I do, I don't know why I like to mix it up, I guess. Um, uh, and I you know, read different books, try different ways, so. Uh, but I've always do something and then I journal. Well, speaking of reading different books, Mindful Tribe, I strongly suggest you get Oasis Conversations because I felt it was such a great read. It was easy to understand the points that Anne was making with her stories and her so many experiences that she's had. And it is truly a great book at taking mindfulness and applying it in the workforce. Tells you exactly what to do. So thank you so much for being on the show, Anne, and for sharing your expertise that you've shared in the book Oasis Conversations. It's been such a pleasure. And of course, we can go to potentials.com and we can go to oasisconversations.com and you're all over social media as well. Any place else you would recommend that we should connect up with you? No, that's fine. And, uh, you know, people are welcome to email me or LinkedIn also. But I want to really thank you, Bruce, for the work you're doing. I mean, I've really enjoyed your podcast for some time. You interview very interesting people. And I really feel your compassion and commitment to making a difference. And 
uh, that's really why I wanted to, uh, happy to connect with you. And I really wish you the very best and thank you for your mission. Thank you so much. Thank you for that. And thank you for being on the show and all the best to you and you have a great rest of your day. Oh, thank you. You too. Thank you. Okay. Bye now. Thanks. Thanks so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest's name or the episode number into the search bar. You can also go mindfulnessmode.com slash whatever episode number you like. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, so many places you can hear Mindfulness Mode. So hit subscribe and share because that truly helps our show. And remember what I mentioned at the top of the show, this sleep naturally guided meditation that I have for you just for Mindful Tribe members. It's to help you receive the deep, easy sleep that you deserve. Sleep naturally and you'll be able to fall asleep easily, get more work done tomorrow and feel better about it. Rest comfortably without effort. Go to mindfulnessmode.com slash sleep for your free download. So remember, subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.